Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to the story studio oh yeah here we go check it out now welcome to the story studio a podcast where an independent publishing company explores the world of self-publishing independent art and a bit of the old future of storytelling uh my name is luke condo with k and i'm joined by my regular co-host mr daniel cox how's it going man you're right? i'm good was that an oxymoron well <laughs> what a good bit of the old future of storytelling <laughs> it was yeah <laughs> You've got to keep them guessing. You don't want anyone to know exactly what you mean. No, no, it works. I'm you good, how are say, you? Yeah, you could say I was giving them a cipher. <gasps> nice. Yeah. Is that is book. that a segue or are we waiting for the I big guess, books? I guess it is, yeah. yeah it's just <laughs> um, have you got a big book for us, Daniel? Yeah, so um, I've been busy beavering away like a little chipmunk um at cypher which is going to be oxymoron? Uh, beavering like a chipmunk <laughs> <laughs> I, don't know if it's oxymoron. I don't know if it's just just absolute yeah. madness but yeah yeah so when was it? it must have been around march or april time i started speaking about doing a sideways podcast which was seven episodes of a story um didn't know what it was going to look and then since then i've just been kind of milling the idea away in my head i think just letting it brew letting it ruminate letting it ruminate and um yeah as of about a month ago yeah. <laughs> it's gonna be one of those evenings as, yeah. of, as about a month ago maybe six weeks ago decided to actually get my head down start getting the production get everything ready to go um so me and carl hughes our audio editor for the other stories have been hard at work with four pretty fantastic actors to put together a kickstarter for cypher which is not like the Pokemon, but like C Y P H E R. Which one is the Pokemon? Which, uh, is that it's the, the green scissor? ones with like the swords on its yeah. arms. It evolves yeah. into Scizor. Yes. Yeah. I used, I used to really like Cypher. He's my favorite first gen Pokemon. Yeah. Yeah. Easy. Easy. Very yeah. Cool. Badass. Yeah. But yeah, and so everything is set to go live, which, if you're listening on this, will be this coming Monday. No, coming Wednesday. 1st of November, everything will be live. If you want to get your hands on the seven episode of Cypher before anyone else in the whole wide world, um, then pledge and get involved because it's going to be fun. If the show funds, it will happen. If it doesn't fund, it doesn't happen. Lots of people are sad, but we just move on with our lives, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's going to be yeah. yeah, it's exclusive to Kickstarter for a fair few months and then 
potentially down the way we'll probably make it public for release but you get that exclusive first look at the show yeah it's like getting a a netflix subscription but uh yeah like a like a netflix instant thing that's only available on netflix for a while and then you download it legally Okay. And, then, <laughs> and there is an early bird special at £10 for the first for the entire show. Cool. So there's a limit to get your hands on them. But yeah, what about you? What's your big whoop? So keeping in the theme of uh, audio stuff, I uh, Tom Robson sent me a, a YouTube video of a 3D audio haircut. Have you listened uh, yeah. to it? Have you... you yeah, I think actually that um, circulated around my school a few years back. Yeah, okay, and yeah. Yeah, well, I got but, the feeling it's old, but I didn't. I've never heard it before. And so the idea is that you put these headphones on, and it's uh, uh they've recorded a room binaurally, which means they've basically got two microphones that act as the two ears, so left and right, uh, uh, panning left and panning right of, of the of the room. And um, if you record that way and then listen back, it gives a full three D effect of the room, so you can hear where people are around the room in relation to where you are. And in this demo, they've used, they've done like a haircut idea. So it's like they've got like clippers and scissors moving around your head. And it's weird because you can feel it going all the way around your head. And like, uh, it's pretty good. And Kat, uh, my fiance, listened to it and she uh, jumped, like screamed at the last bit because like there's like a little whisper, like out of nowhere, a little whisper yeah. in the ear right at the end. And um, we, got, we got talking, we were like, wow, imagine like a little horror story told in that binaural method that binaural mm-hmm. way you could get these are really cool with that um, if you sat in say you sat in the center of a room and there's some people i don't know like fighting or doing stuff around you would be yeah we could do those yeah. you could do a seance table so you mm-hmm. could do like and like <gasps> have like ghosts talking around your ears you could have the medium on the other side you know talking oh. in tongues and stuff there's so oh. many things you can do uh, so yeah so i'll be looking into that i figured that's a cool experiment maybe in the future um mm. yeah so uh, yeah excuse my weird outburst and i've just had someone else call me literally as we were talking <laughs> <laughs> okay was it a, a spirit is that a it, it, was, it was a spirit okay that's good absolute spirit uh, um, yeah yes. that stuff's cool like is it, is it that cheesy italian one where the guy's like <laughs> yeah. we're going to do your haircut yes yeah. 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 yeah 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 there's a part in that i'm pretty sure where like there's music playing in the background. Yeah, the guy like, playing live in the corner. Yeah. yeah, I remember when um, I listened to it, I was just sat in my bedroom, eyes closed, because I got told to plunge yourself into experience. Yeah. And um, that freaked me out. I full-on thought that someone was in my room at that point. Weird, isn't it? It's weird how effective it is. Um, but now the more I think about it, the more I think I would love to do a special episode of The Other Stories using that recording method. You'd have to actually have people in the room like almost like a stage play though as you, as you do it um, yeah you yeah, could really do it separately i don't know well, so. i think maybe, maybe audio. yeah well i think maybe you have to have like a baseline and then maybe you could put uh you know special effects i don't you'd have to experiment but uh yeah i'm not too sure but anyway um enough of all that uh today i think we've got our guests sort of waiting for us now um yes i won't linger so- too long but just I hope it'll be a good interview. I haven't recorded it yet, so. <laughs> well, we're I'm always. Sure, I'm sure it'll be good. Guys. Yeah, so we'll uh, we'll have to wait and see. We'll find out when you find out. Cool. And over to our interview with John Cronshaw. Cool. So today we're talking to John Cronshaw. 
John is a British science fiction and fantasy author based in Morecambe, England, who is rocking the post-apoc world of his book series, The Wizard of the Wasteland. He also works as a freelance. Uh, he also works as a freelance features writer. He has had work published in local and national newspapers across the UK, including the Metro, Yorkshire Post, and the Guardian. He's a voracious reader, guide dog owner, ex gamer, and certified geek. Welcome to the show, John. Hey, John. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> I, I just want to get a certification <laughs> for the geek geekerage. Is that a like um? How did you get? That? I mean, you do it? <laughs> I mean, it was one of them unaccredited universities that you get online i, I basically answered right. an email thing and pay pay three grand for it but you know yeah. it's def- definitely worth it so. yeah it's similar way to how you own a piece of the moon you uh <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah so uh, yeah john i was uh i was on your website the other day and uh i saw this little really interesting little piece here and i just thought i'd quickly read it out because i think it's a good um start to the interview uh you put here to pay my bills, I work as a journalist. I've met interesting and powerful people, the Prime Minister, the Chancellor, Boris. I've listened to the stories <laughs> of dying kids, drag queen, drag queen wrestlers, reformed addicts, artists, writers, bishops, and liars. I've sat in courtrooms, council chambers, and inquests. I've seen so many different sides of so many different people, their passions, their schemes, their pettiness and selflessness. Journalism has been an education in the human condition, a rich and vivid mosaic of stories, all valid, all unique, all fantastic in their own way. That's I read that and I was like, wow, that's quite a wellspring of uh, experiences to, to, to write stories and create characters from. Can you can you sort of start off by telling me a little bit about yourself as a journalist and and these crazy experiences you've had? Yeah, I mean, it's um, oh, I don't know where to start really. I mean, yeah, I've worked in um, you know newspapers and things. I mean, it was ma- mainly local news that I worked in um, Halifax Courier and like the Yorkshire Evening Post and um places like that so it was you know down down kind of right on the bottom level doing the articles about court you know going to courtrooms and reporting on whatever was going on that day you know magistrates court crown court and then um ended up becoming a political reporter um and then that kind of led to um what was in the 2015 election the tories happened to launch their election campaign in Halifax and it was like one of those main kind of bellwether seats so the you know they really wanted Halifax so they were there and I got to interview all these people who were you know the faces of Labour and the Tories so it was yeah. I don't know felt felt like I was really kind of in the middle of stuff as all this stuff was going on so no it was really exciting and um, yeah just yeah it's just you get to see all these different things and you have to do so many different jobs on a day-to-day basis I mean, even doing the political reporting, I was, you know, I'd do the kind of council meetings and, um, you know, looking at what the local NHS were doing and reading through documents. And then I'd have to go to a local primary school to um, speak to some kids who had like heart conditions and stuff. So it was like all the time just speaking to different people with different, you know, different things going on. And yeah, I just think doing that has given me a really good sense of what people do, how people talk and um, just great you know, just so much ammunition for characters. <laughs> it's, yeah, um, for sure. Yeah. It's amazing. And are you still doing that now? No, not, not as much as I was. I mean, um, I was doing freelance for a while and I basically turned into kind of full-time dad slash, uh, author. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm doing this now and, uh, looking after my son, you know, when I'm not writing. So yeah, it's, uh, yeah, that's, that's how it's going. And, you know, the Wasteland series is just starting to sell enough now where, you know, I can justify that going forward. Great, great. So what was your kind of um, switch between the journalism and into the more fiction side? I guess because 
the, the writing styles are very, very different, aren't they? It's a lot more formal when you're doing your journalism stuff against your yeah. creative well, fiction. <laughs> well, I thought I could write. <laughs> so, you know, I'd been doing the, the journalism and I thought, oh, well, it's, it's a piece of piss, isn't it? You, you just write. <laughs> yeah. um, and I couldn't. So <laughs> I had to teach myself again. So um, I did a lot of things, you know, learning craft and, um, you know, I, thought, oh, I must have watched all of, you know, Brandon Sanderson's lectures and gone mm. through all the writing excuses episodes. I mean, I just did a kind of my own MFA in creative writing. And then I did the, um, what was it, you know, the Avron courses that they do. I don't know if you're aware of those. They're like um, basically go for a week in Ted Hughes's house and learn how to write. And um, wow. I did mine with Jeff Ryman and Simon Ings. And Jeff Ryman is one of my favorite authors. So it was just like, I got to spend a week with him and learn how to write. And it was just that experience. Like then that was two years ago, actually. And that was just, a, that was the switch. That was the point where I was just like, I need to do this. This is what I need to do. Um, I've been working on a novel for about a year and a half. It was a, just, it will never see the light of day. It was rubbish, but I needed to <laughs> kind of get it out of my system and do it. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that, that happened and then um we what was it i had a job i basically got a very good job that was um working as a um basically like a malcolm tucker kind of character i don't know if you watch sick of it <laughs> yeah basically a press secretary for someone in the shadow cabinet and you it turned swear. out that, did you have to was that in your job description oh, where basically she wouldn't let my guy go for a wee one day so i walked out um, <laughs> and i've never walked out of a job before so um yeah that that was insane so i was just kind of like no what so um i spent half the time doing freelance work and then doing fiction writing and probably had about three failed attempts at novels and then kind of hit on what i'm doing now so yeah it's just been a real kind of education and yeah um, just a lot of, you know, I was sitting in front of a computer and writing. Yeah. So the uh, the first uh, the first novel where you thought, okay, this is, I'm onto it now. Is that like a post-apocalyptic novel or is that uh, another one? Um, well, yeah, the the first one that I wrote that I thought actually this works is what I released as my second novel, which is Night of the Wasteland. Yeah. And then I wrote a prequel to that which was called Addict to the Wasteland, which I kind of did the Insta Free Beef thing. So it was a novella length rather than a novel. Um, and then I did this short story that was called Wizard of the Wastes, which was, it came to me in a dream, this idea of this wizard kind of visiting this um, post-apocalyptic town and he just kind of showed off old technology, making out that it's kind of, uh, you know, something magical when, you know, he's just showing off light bulbs and things like that. Yeah. Um, and then I thought, oh, I could fuse this with the wasteland thing so then ended up writing wizard of the wasteland as the first book in that series so yeah it's crazy <laughs> let's go cool. and how did, how did it feel to publish that to get your fiction out was, there onto the store yeah yeah amazing it's uh yeah it's really really cool um and it's it's like it's you know i've had my work published for years i've had articles and whatever published but there was something really magical about knowing that somebody had read my story and, you know, I get, I get emails from people who've read my stories and get what I'm trying to do because I know that my stuff isn't necessarily as commercial as a lot of the post-apocalyptic fiction that you'll see. Um, you know, I, I mean, I've, looking now, I've made a lot of mistakes in terms of writing in, I don't know, present tense, for example, you know, I won't, <laughs> I won't do that again. Um, and that's just Is that because just of that like, first book. 
for the well for the series i'm, I'm kind of sticking with wow. the style um okay. which is kind of third person limited very limited you don't go into the person's head it's yeah. present tense um my style i've tried to emulate Hermes Hemingway, which is probably yeah. really lofty and probably not the best idea for selling commercial fiction. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's all an education and it's all kind of learning um, what I can do with stories and what I can do with words. So did yeah. It, uh, no, did, it, did it Nick Cole do that with uh, Old Man in a Wasteland? I've not actually read it, but I, I, got, I was in the depression that he wrote. Yeah. About... Yeah. I think he, <laughs> I think he did, didn't he? I think it was like his riff on Old Man of the Sea and there was a lot of weird stylistic choices in that, which, you know, I, I love that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I love people who mess around with language and things like that. But, you know, this is, for me now, this is a business and I need to kind of think of the reader first and not just myself. So, yeah. yeah. Coming back, if we pause a little bit and look back at, so you said you've been kind of in this game for about two years and from... Yeah. Where I first saw you was sort of all littered over Facebook when I've seen your books popped on a load of different groups. I've seen you releasing your second one. Obviously, your third one will be coming out very, very soon. What's the date for that one? Uh, it's the 28th of October, so it's, uh, yeah, Saturday. So if you're listening on launch day, yeah, it's tomorrow. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so you've got all of this stuff kind of going out. But what was it in that first couple of years that, one, took you so long to publish? And I don't mean that in a cruel way because, you know, everyone – that's not what it's meant but one to to actually get to that point where you could publish but two in terms of the actual process and what you wanted to do because i know some people have that in a battle between whether they want to do the commercial fiction whether they want to put something out they love um and i know that my first book was just a labor of love i didn't want anything else from it and it, it served me well but what was your kind of process in those first couple of years yeah, so I mean, it's it's having direction. You know, I I learned about plot structure, and that was a revelation for me. Um, I wrote a, I mean, it's weird. I had, had a look over because I back everything up. I've got into the habit of that for years, and I looked over my creative writing folder the other day, and I realised that actually, I I tried to write a dystopian novel in two thousand and seven that didn't go anywhere. Um, <laughs> so I've been doing stuff like this for years yeah. um you know i had ideas for comics and um just all these kind of different things i'd written a comedy script a radio play and it's just i'd written all these things that i just thought oh this is crap once i've done it um and then i wrote this i had this kind of really ambitious idea for a novel which was basically i, I kind of envisioned it a bit like game of thrones in space um so it's set yeah. in a kind of post-earth solar system and it ended up having like 13 point of view characters and it was just a mess and it didn't really go anywhere. And I spent ages on it. I got developmental edit from um, Cat Howard on part of the story and, you know, getting uh, line edits when I was halfway through. I just didn't know what I was doing at all. Um, but I finished it and it was dreadful and it's it's an unrepairable mess. But you I'm should, glad I did uh, it. You should do a Richard, Richard Backman. You should... Uh release it in a, in a pseudonym and it will take off you know what i've released parts of it um because there were so many characters it was basically it was basically i don't know maybe 13 short stories almost woven together that all kind of cross over released a couple of them as short stories and kind of honed them and kind of made them pretty and you know made them into a more of a um you know better story arc so i have released some of the things as short stories yeah. um in like my collections and things so you know it there's bits of it out there but oh i don't know i, I just got so trapped in that 
Um, and then I wrote, what was it? I wrote some, I, I decided for a while to do things where I put things in a bag. Like I wrote things down on a, on a label thing, put it in a bag, shook it up, picked it out, picked two things and tried <laughs> yeah. to do a kind of X meets Y. And I think I picked something weird like Lion King meets Meerkat Manor. Um, <laughs> and so I, I ended up writing I got into like 17,000 words of this like dystopian story about meerkats and I just thought what the fuck am I doing <laughs> so, I've gone I made yeah. a terrible mistake it reminds yeah. me of uh, David Bowie because that's how you wrote song lyrics you used to just yeah uh, yeah well I, I think I think that's it you know I, I've been in bands in the past and you know experimental bands and done yeah. art you know whatever so um, so it's kind of all these things coming in to the ideas and then i don't know i've been world building a epic fantasy thing for about the past five years as well i realized so um i just needed to kind of get something out there to prove to myself that i could write a story and it be a full story and be you know half decent and be professionally um you know like a professional thing that you would buy in a shop so yeah yeah i did that and people seemed to like it so yeah that was good so, uh, so what, what brought you to indie publishing rather than uh, taking the books to a traditional than the traditional route? You maybe did that as well. I'm not too sure. Uh, no, no this way? not at all. Um, the I used to like years and years ago. I mean, this was probably 2007. Now I, I ran an, I ran a self published magazine, and you used to do all the printing and everything. And one of the people who was the um, she was a deputy editor used to she was like one of the kind of early authors on on kindle um someone called lkj um and she i don't i think she still publishes actually but um you know she was one of the first adopters and just talked about how amazing it was and then um i had i knew people who'd been published and picked up by presses and you know were in battles about getting the rights back and just getting really frustrated and i just thought because of the way i am i'm I like to have control of what I'm doing. I like to control my own destiny. I've got a disability. So, you know, sometimes I can't be on as much as I want. So I just need to, I needed something, a way to do this in a way um, that was on my terms. And this, yeah, doing it in the indie way, it just kind of speaks to me as, you know, someone who's done kind of DIY bands in the past and all this kind of stuff. It, yeah, it all makes sense. So Yeah. It's strange. It reminds me. I mean, a lot of these people who make like uh, indie comics and you know were in bands growing up. I feel like a lot of them uh, have a similar sort of mindset. That whole DIY, just do something, but like the whole kind of punk rock sort of way of doing things. Um, I know a lot of indie comic makers were in bands. Did you play in bands as well, or were you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I played in bands and um, had a bit of success with. A band that I was in that was actually a, a kind of t- take the piss band. Um, me and a friend of mine did a band that was a fake German band called De Plankton, <laughs> and it was just we we said that we were the pioneers of new crowd rock, and um, just ended up we we started off doing it just to kind of troll the muso kind of uh, scene in Leeds, um, and we ended up playing in like the Tate Gallery in Liverpool and all this kind of stuff. So it was yeah, it just kind of took on its own. Um, same thing so yeah I, I mean just stuff like that the fact that you can do something that's stupid and meaningless can have a big impact you know and actually get somewhere i think that that really inspires me so yeah, yeah i think that's yeah. the same and with I, indie publishing. 
Yeah, and I guess you're seeing a bit of that already. You already said that you're getting to a point where you're starting to see the rewards of, of the books that you've put out. Has that come from, are you currently working to any kind of publishing schedule? Do you have a kind of method to your approach now? Yeah, I mean, it's, it hasn't meant to be, but I mean, I've, I released, um, what was it? I released Wizard of the Wasteland in June and then I released the next book in August. I've released this book, you know, in October. Um, so, you know, with this trilogy, there's been a two-month schedule. I'm not going to be able to sustain that because, you know, there's no point in me releasing a fourth book, you know, around Christmas. Um, yeah. So what I'm doing is I'm going to get this um, collaborative... I'm working on a collaborative trilogy with um, two other people, which is like a UK-based post-apocalyptic thing. We're calling it Black Death, and then I think we're going to have, like, uh, you know, a word probably after it, like Black Death Annihilation or, you know, those kind of a series like that. Um, and it's... It's basically set in the UK, post-apocalyptic setting. Um, it's after the end of antibiotics and the black plague is back. The Black Death is here. Um, and so it's it's all set in the UK. A lot of um, cool stuff going on in terms of cultural references and, you know, very specific places. All the places are real and, you know, places I've lived and things like that. And the other people who are writing it have lived and been to as well. Um, so... I'm working on that over the next few weeks. Um, I'm almost done with the first book, which has taken just over a fortnight to do my first draft, which is wow. It's how many, awesome. So how many reckon, words are you doing a day? We, we're doing, well, I, I mean, it fluctuates with me. Um, I, I prefer to see it on a kind of monthly yeah. thing. So I try, I try to get 30 to 40,000 words a month if I can. Um, sometimes that'll be more like I wrote Night of the Wasteland. I think the first draft of that I did um, in about ten days. Um, so it just it just depends. Um, what I'm looking to do is get the tr- the trilogy, the first draft of this trilogy, done for the early December, and then I want to start working on the fourth Wasteland book, which will probably be the last one in that series. And then um, there's a really difficult book that I've been working on on the side, which is a kind of lit RPG. But the yeah. main character um, is it's, it's basically he's got a implant in his mind so he can implant in his brain so he can perceive this virtual world. But in the real world, he's blind um, and I'm visually impaired. And it's I'm having to play with a lot of my own kind of experiences as, you know, growing up and coping with being visually impaired and what that means and all those issues. So it's like this two kind of weird heroes journey parallel stories going on so um it's, it's actually really difficult to write just because it is so kind of personal but i think it'll be i think it'll be really good when it's done because it is um you know very honest and you know written from a perspective oh. that not a lot of people have firsthand so yeah i like that Thirty thousand words uh thirty thousand words 30 to forty thousand words a month is achievable um like i think anyone can do thirty thousand words like a month it's not that's what a thousand words a day. That's kind of what I'm doing at the minute, and it's the kind of word count where it's not. Um, it doesn't feel hard. <laughs> like it doesn't feel like you're you're trying. It doesn't feel like you've got a mountain to climb. You're just sort of uh, sitting down at the computer for half an hour, and it's uh, yeah, almost enjoyable. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, I I write four days a week on creative stuff, so I think that's probably works out about twenty hours I can spend writing. So. Yeah, that's yeah. that's kind of how that works out over a week. Yeah. So your um, your project where you're working with other authors, um, is it deliberate that they're all UK based authors? Because I mean, obviously, with the internet being how it's being, it's possible to work yeah, with anyone um, from well, anywhere. 
Yeah, well, I mean, this is it. I mean, one of the authors is actually um, lives in Canada and has lived in New Zealand and just happens to have been raised in Somerset. Um, so, yeah, he, he I, I'm not sure how long it's been since he's actually uh, lived here, you know. Um, the other one is lives in Northern Ireland. And obviously, I have, you know, I've lived quite a few places in the UK. So, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's uh, yeah, the internet is just amazing for this. I was thinking about this the other day that, the idea of doing this, you know, even 10 years ago would have been really challenging. And, you know, we're on Facebook Messenger all the time and we've got some live Google Docs going on. And it's like, it's, yeah, it's just amazing that this is coming together and it's coming together so fast. Yeah. And how are you finding the collaboration process? Because it must be a bit different to, did you collaborate much as a journalist on anything? I imagine that you probably wouldn't so much. Um, no, you, you'd be surprised. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, you do. Um, because you have... Uh, a news editor and you have people subbing your work and you know you, you it's always a collaborative process you've got to work with photographers and um mm. you know there's always people who you've got to deal with and work with um sometimes you'll do an article where you know you might write the main story and then someone else who write a, a secondary story to it a kicker to it or you know th- there's different things going on where they'll be um, kind of linked and you know you always need other people to make stuff happen um so yeah that, the collaborative process has been really good we decided to keep it really simple we've got three point of view characters we're all doing one each we've got 20 scenes and we've basically got a rough timeline saying okay scene five of book one the phone networks mobile phone networks go down um you know scene 10 the electricity goes off and you know so we've got these kind of rough things and then we kind of just doing our story and um using the same kind of um i don't know if you're aware of blake snyder's um save the cat method you know the kind mm-hmm. of beat sheet where you hit certain thematic beats throughout a story so we're kind of using that we've got 20 scenes each for the first story and i think what we'll probably end up doing is increasing that as we go through um and yeah just just kind of seeing how it goes but i think we're you know we're averaging between a thousand and fifteen hundred words per scene. So I think, you know, by the time we're done, we'll end up with, you know, something like a seventy thousand word novel. And yeah, I've I mean, we started talking about the initial ideas for this about four weeks ago, and we're already halfway wow. through the first book. Yeah. And we've already got ideas for publishing companies and you know, we've set up when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. A lot of things in the background that are going to, you know, be important going forward. But yeah, it's just really cool how it's just worked so fast and worked so well. Yeah, that sounds cool. And, um, are you going to be doing... You say you're going to start up a bit of a small press. Are you going to be doing some conventions or uh, getting out on, on the road at all? Hopefully. You know, this yeah. is this is the thing with, with the kind of saying we're a small press and, you know, releasing all our titles under the banner. And um, I think it will give us more kind of um, legitimacy when we, you know, apply for things, apply for conventions and um, things like that. And, you know, getting to other places in terms of getting reviews in, uh, newspapers and whatever so I, I just think that it's a it's there's a lot of advantages to doing it um and yeah i think we're just gonna go in and <laughs> see what yeah. happens really that's cool man um i did want to quickly ask you about your extracurricular activities because i'm always i'm fond of a, a project as it were and i've seen you're doing the, the ray bradbury challenge and you also got this all for diary podcast <laughs> um can, yeah. you, can you quickly talk about the, the ray bradbury challenge and what it is why you're doing it and you know what you got out of it yeah i mean basically there's there's two ray bradbury challenges um there was the one that i finished um you know a couple of months back which is basically you write a short story every week for a year um and that was really great because it just gets you writing it gets you thinking um and it gets you actually finishing stuff and you know i've been able to release three short story collections that I wasn't intended to, which is just great to kind of have in a backlist when people look at your Amazon page. And, you know, I've had, I think I've basically had a release every two months now this year. So wow. yeah, yeah, that's been really good. Um, so yeah, doing, doing that was really rewarding. And, you know, I'm now just going to focus on um, doing the odd short story for things like anthologies. I mean, I'm doing one at the moment um, for an anthology with just a Facebook kind of group of authors that I'm on um and that's been a lot of fun um and the other part of the ray bradbury challenge is the one where you read an essay a poem and a short story every day for a thousand days um i think i'm on about day four to six if i remember rightly so i've been doing wow, it for over a year well. now. yeah 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 um and amazing. it's it's amazing it's really good i mean obviously I, I, you know I, because of being visually impaired when I say read, what I mean is I listen to a poem, I listen to, um, you know, audio podcasts, um, TED Talks and, you know, the BBC's A Point of View and History of the World in 100 Objects, all these kind of different um, non-fiction things. Um, and doing that, it's, you know, you're never short of ideas. Um, you know, there's always different ways because I'm trying to listen to things that I wouldn't necessarily listen to. So yeah. I'm listening to a lot of like literary fiction on the, you know, the New Yorker do fiction podcasts and they're great. And, um, you know, there's young adult ones. I don't know if you know the Cast of Wonders podcast, which is like young adult fantasy. So I'm, I'm experiencing all these different genres. I mean, you, you've got your podcast as well, the other stories, you know, I listen to all these different podcasts and get all these different ideas. And it just kind of, I think it rounds me out more as an author because um, you kind of see, 
there's you know you get problems in writing in like how do you do this and if you're experiencing all these short stories and all these different writers who are good at maybe one thing or this thing and different genres then you're going to hear the solutions to these problems and i think that's really starting to filter into my work in terms of thinking about dialogue because you know i, I write in the science fiction genre and on the whole i'm you know, I love it's my favourite genre, science fiction and fantasy. I love it, but when it comes to dialogue, they're not the strongest. Whereas you listen to something, a crime fiction story or something in literary fiction, and there's just something about the dialogue which punches you in the gut. It's like, right, I need to work out how they're doing that and bring it into my own work to kind of st- strengthen it. So, yes. yeah, it's mm. it's great. It makes me. Where are you sourcing uh, all of your? Um, uh, where are you sourcing all your articles and stuff from? Because I'd find that I've tried a few sort of RSS readers on my phone and. I tend to just then get preoccupied by Facebook when I'm trying to look for a decent article. So is there a, is there a place that you go to find all this stuff? Well, as I, as I say, it's um, the it's just it's mainly podcasts. I mean, I've got you know I've got a few um, short story anthologies and things, but for things like you know TED Talks and um, you know thing like the recent podcast of Sincerely X, which is like a anonymous TED Talk kind of thing, um, and all the BBC ones, the BBC do the essay and the wreath lectures and. You know, so it's all these kind of lectury podcasts or like opinion pieces. Um, so yeah, it's all, it's all that kind of stuff, really. Could you? Um, so, is there any sort of any particular essay that's that stuck with your mind, and any particular poem that stuck stuck with your mind? <laughs> um, yes, there was the. I think it was right. I might get the name wrong. It was the Ballad of Reading Jail. I want to say by um, Oscar Wilde. Um, that was an amazing poem. Really horrible, really brutal, really dark. Um, I recommend Ooh. that. I listened to that through <laughs> yeah. through LibriVox. Yeah. Um, and it was just about the brutality of prisons when Oscar Wilde was obviously in prison. Yeah. Um, and just yeah, just so just horrible imagery. Like I'm I'm gonna steal from that poem for years in terms of just yeah. <laughs> getting horrible, gory imagery and things like that. Um, oh, I don't know. I mean. I think the essay thing, it's like, it, it depends on what mood I'm in and what's inspired me recently. Um, there was one, and I've I read, I had a bit of a rant about this kind of thing on my podcast the other day. I mean, I don't like to get political on podcasts, but um, it was, there were a couple of things that happened within a very short space of time that were related to the kind of um, American, um, really kind of militant political correctness movement that's going on. Yeah. Um, and I'd read this article that someone had shared with me that was about um, what authors can and can't write about. And they'll say, you know, if if you're um, if you're straight, um, include gay characters, but you can't write about what it's like to be gay because you don't understand the oppression. And I just went through this list. And it's like if oh, you're it's male, madness. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's like I'm sorry, but the whole point of fiction is being able to, um, you know, empathize and understand the other. Um, and I think. I, I, like that really made me angry and <laughs> there was like a um there was a bbc's a point of view podcast that was about um essentially saying that the this movement is is using free speech as um essentially it's like it? authoritarian leftist yeah, like, movements yeah it's crazy yeah so it's, 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 it's like, like, like the progressionist left they're like using they don't want to get political either but are like almost as militant and aggressive as the people they're trying to uh yeah. go against it's, it. it's, it's weird it's really weird yeah free, that was it free free speech is a, is a thing of male patriarchy and yeah. so you have yeah. to have speech it's like wow. well, well no because 
you you're able to say that because of free speech you know there's a real contradiction there and it it frustrated me because you know I, i've written where i've got a, a character that is an interdimensional you know transcendental being and it's like i've never had experience of that um, <laughs> yeah. i've never had yeah. experience of being a wizard in a post-apocalyptic world um <laughs> You laugh, but you, you follow the logic, and that's where you get where you just can't. It's it's all going to be autobiography, and you can't actually write fiction because you can't write the other. And like that's that's what worries me. <laughs> so yeah, I didn't want to go on a rant, but yeah, no, no, that's, cool. that's what it's, uh, so it's, it's it does it. Yeah. It fuels um, fuels passion. <laughs> one of the um, so one of the things I'm pulling from this interview, and also just from a lot of what I've seen of you on on Facebook online, is that. You seem to be one of these people that you, rather than sitting around and waiting for opportunities, you tend to make a lot of opportunities. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your Facebook group. Is it, it is your Facebook group, isn't it? The oh, the, the uh, apocalypse one. The yeah. Of, yeah, yeah. Do you I mean, want to tell yeah. us a little bit about your sort of your decision to start that group, what it's for, and also well, how it's helping you? <laughs> <laughs> I think you've already said. Yeah, it is this thing of, um, you know, I grew I grew up on a council estate in Wolverhampton, and. Um, the only way you could get out was through boxing, music, or education, I think. And <laughs> people who didn't bother are still there and, you know, probably have had issues with heroin or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so you've got to make things happen. I hate it when you see people who go, I wish there was this, I wish there was that. And I've always just thought, well, if it's not there, do it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I really wanted a community of like-minded authors who are writing in the same genre as me who were willing to share and help each other and talk about craft and talk about how to raise the bar with what they're doing and there, there are other post-apocalyptic groups on facebook um that you know do some really cool stuff but it, you know it wasn't what i wanted um and so i just thought you know what what the hell i will do this myself um i wanted to set up the group and yeah join the group it, it if you write apocalyptic stuff, if you write zombie stuff, if you write, uh, you know, dystopian stuff, there's a lot of authors on there. There's, there's some really successful authors on there who are giving advice. Um, Mike Kraus, who, um, you know, he's just doing amazing work at the minute. Um, you know, he wrote a post on there. I got him to write a post all about his process of serialized fiction. And that was such a great post. There's so much information in there. Um, so yeah, just and and having people who are willing to look at each other's blurbs on Amazon and you know really help each other, um, and that's it's still building. And I want it to be a better community, um, and it it will be because I think people are getting you know more active on there, and it's not just you know it, it felt for a while like I was leading the posts in terms of you know I was the one doing stuff and everyone was responding, but now it feels like people are sharing and going oh you know. Uh, share your Facebook page here, we'll all like each other's Facebook page. And it's just little things like that and, yeah. you know, asking questions about how to write a good blurb or, you know, does this promo site work for this genre? And it's been really useful. Um, In terms so, so yeah. I, I, I don't know if I remember this group. What, what's the group called? It's called Authors of the Apocalypse. Authors of, I'm not, I need to, I need to add it. I'd like to, I'll um, you in it. Cool. I need to find, I've been looking for a while, somewhere as you're writing a post-apocalyptic book and you're trying to think of, um, like a quick research like idea of um oh is diesel like how long does diesel last before it expires or you know something like simple like that and you need somewhere to ask where people might know is, yeah. is there any is there any of that sort of going on there's, there's been a little bit and i think 
there'll be enough people on there who've researched it that they'll be able to answer it. Yeah, um, that's cool. So yeah, I think I think it's a, it's a really good place for for things like that. Definitely, because I'm at um, the point where we're going to have to go live in the woods for a bit to <laughs> just to get a good idea of what I'm writing. Um, yeah, man. So uh, have you? So you've been writing obviously as a journalist and now as an author. Have you got any advice for general advice for writers that maybe you wish somebody gave you but but never did? Um, just know when to let go of that first novel. Um, you know, I, th- I think when you write your first novel, it is you go in there and you think, well, I've read a million novels. I know how to write a novel, and you don't. Um, I think you go in there and you stick to it. I mean, some people spend twenty years on on a novel, and that breaks my heart because we've all got so many stories within us. The first novel is like your first love or, you know, it's your first sexual experience where it's like, this is built up for ages and I just really want to get it done. And it's got to be the best thing ever. And then you just, you say you need to get it out there. It takes a lot longer to write a book. Yeah. 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 I mean, um, so I don't know. I mean, it's, it's the excitement and it's the, you know, you've just got to get it done and get it out of your system and then move past it and, and know that, okay, it's going to be crap. I'm not as good as I think I am. I don't know how to tell a story. And then once you've written that first book, got it out of your system, then go and learn about story. Go and deconstruct stories that you like, stories that you hate, um, work out why things work, why things don't. When you sit and watch a movie and go, oh, I wouldn't have done that, stop yourself and go, well, why wouldn't you have done that? Yeah. And try and work out, you know, it, it, it's a process. And stories are deceptively simple, I think. I think we we experience them all the time. We take them for granted, but they're really hard um, to get right. So, yeah, I think, yeah, get the novel out of your system, move on, and then really learn your craft and hone it. Yeah. Learn how to put stories together, learn what works, and then learn how to write. I mean, the amount of authors I see who can't, string a sentence together in terms of grammar and things like that it's i mean it, yeah i mean it's it's weird because even when the grammar's bad and even when the writing's bad story is the most important thing i mean we we can just point to 50 shades of gray if a story resonates with a lot of people it's successful regardless of the quality of writing so get the story right first and then you know do it as credit to yourself to learn how to write where a comma goes um you know what a past tense is because some people don't, and, and that's a shame. Yeah, I feel sorry for El James. She's like the universal punching <laughs> bag of authors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and she and she's probably sitting in a massive swimming pool, kind of laughing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it completely highlights your point. It is it is more about story. The amount of stories that I have read where it's been professionally published authors, and you sit there and go, "This isn't amazingly written, but oh my god, I do just want to read more." Yeah. 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 That's, I think that's like most of the journey, but you know, we get a good story and the, the prose is just so good. It's just oh. adds something extra to it. <laughs> it takes mm, it, it to a whole other level. So it was, I was I reread, um, what was it, The Name of the Wind recently, the, the Patrick Rothfuss. And he's, I need to read that. I've been recommended that by so many people. Yeah, like I, I, lo- I love the story, but then the, the writing, he's just got such a poetic voice with his writing. It's, yeah, it just, it really adds to it. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Even though the characters are complete dick, you're like, oh, this is, <laughs> this is really nice. This is yeah. just sounds beautiful. It's a, so. it's a beautiful dick you're talking about. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so any any other mediums that you'd like to, to write in? Um, 
Radio, yeah, I'd love, I'd love to write radio. I mean, I've written radio plays in the past. Um, yeah, I really like radio plays. I really like audio. Um, it was weird. It was when when I did Wizard of the Wasteland. I got, you know, I got the um, e-book and I got the print book, and it was ah, okay, fair enough. But then when somebody actually did the narration for the audio book, because all you know, pretty much ninety-five percent of my reading now is done through audio. Um, it, it just meant so much more. So yeah, audio and radio. Um, yeah, that that that'd be awesome. So if any, if any um, <laughs> yeah. you mentioned um, you mentioned a few times about your sort of vision impairment. How has that hindered your writing, if it has at all? Yeah, I mean, I'd like to say it hasn't, but it really has. <laughs> so um, yeah, I mean, I think in a way, I, I see it as a like, well, I'm visually impaired, so screw you. I will, I'll show you kind of thing. I think it does give me that extra drive to to do it um you know i think part i mean i did a, i did a phd in art history you know and i'm i'm visually impaired so it was almost like a i'm not gonna i mean it's probably like a real terrible psychological thing to have that attitude but um mm-hmm. yeah it was just like well i'm not gonna let this beat me um you know i do get i dictate when i'm writing most of the time um now i use dragon and um that's really good in terms of my biggest problem now is is eye strain mm. and you know that like when i used to work at the newspapers i i would go home on a on a friday night and pretty much lie in bed recovering until sunday and um, because it just really wow. just yeah. was like being pun- punched in the head and the eyes and whatever and you know my wife's really glad now that i'm doing this because i can just walk away from a screen or mm. i can just you know look away i can dictate into my mobile and have a walk up the beach I, you know we moved to morecambe and this, this was all part of it. It's just, you know, we tried to make our lives, all the things we wanted in our lives. You know, I wanted to live by the sea, wanted to be a science fiction writer, and here we are. Yeah, <laughs> so, doing it, yeah. Um, so, so the, yeah, so the, there's little things. Like, this is why, you know, if, if I wasn't, if I didn't have the eye strain issue, then, you know, my output per month would probably be 100,000 words. I could quite comfortably do that if I didn't have to see in front of a screen. Um, I find editing, self-editing really difficult, um and so what i do is i you know i listen to the i basically convert what i do to kindle and then play it back using the kind of stephen hawking voice Um, (laughs) and then um you know once i've got it sounding how i want it because this is you know i a lot of what i do is audio so it has to sound right to me the rhythm i hate clunkiness in sentences i hate tripping over words um and then my last edit will be getting my wife to read it out to me and she's an english teacher and she teaches language and she's trained to be an editor so she picks out everything that's there and yeah the last book was very clean so i was i was pleased with how that was and she obviously got stuff at the end like um what you call them like pluralized singulars or something um where you know all the little kind of technical things where i just think oh whatever (laughs) (laughs) Um, how does it sound so yeah that's all i care about yeah (laughs) Yeah. like like i I really struggle with telling the you know telling if a uh, quote mark is one of the smart smart ones you know like the curly ones rather than straight and yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, sometimes i can't see the difference between full stops and commas and you know so it's just kind of little things like that where you can't hear them um but yeah as, as long as i've got another pair of eyes then you know i can do this forever so yeah cool cool uh so i've just got a couple more questions before we jump into the quick fire round um i just want to quickly ask first of all um have you got any sort of favorite recent uh books that you read or films or comics or anything that's out there that yeah. you really enjoyed recently 
Well, you know, you know the one the series that I'm on at the minute is amazing. Um, I absolutely loved it. It's Brian McKellen's Powder Mage series. I don't know if you've read this. Um, it's kind. Of, I think it's it's Flintlock Fantasy is what it's what it's described. It's basically fantasy set. Um, I don't know almost Regency times, and um, it's kind of out of the medieval setting. And there's what is it? You've got mages who can control the path of bullets and have an affinity with gunpowder and stuff like this. And all the old wizards are kind of pissed off with these um, new wizards coming along and having all these new powers and things. Um, and it's just a real kind of deep political stuff going on and a lot of stuff about, um, I think, I think the guy must've read a lot of Marx basically. There's a lot of like yeah. um, undercover undercurrent of like Marxist theory and um, yeah, just kind of unions and war and I don't know, there's just so much going on and, it's just really well told. So yeah, I'm 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 about an hour and a half away from the ending of that. So I'll I'll probably finish that tonight. And yeah, really excited about that series. I think it's brilliant. Um, cool. So yeah, recommend highly recommend that one. Cool. Um, and also, like, what what's other than the Black Death series? What what's next for for John? Oh, man, I mean, yeah, I've mentioned the um, the kind of lit RPG yeah. um, visual impairment thing. So that's an ongoing thing. And then. I've, I've really I've been doing this world building for an epic fantasy for a few years and I've got the outlines it's all ready to go and it's just justifying you know the time of being able to do a you know a 300,000 word uh, trilogy um, so yeah once I've got this done with the um, post-apocalypse stuff I'm going to be writing this epic fantasy thing and I, I'm really excited about it because um, I did I've done quite a few short stories in the world and um, they're kind of the best received things I've had. Like people have e- like really gone out the way to email me and just say, this character is awesome. You need to write more with this character. And it's like, yeah. I can't ignore that. You know, it's um, there's obviously a call for what, what this character, something about this character's resonated or whatever. So yeah, I'm going to write that series and yeah, I've just been writing and, you know, more short stories and it just kind of get my head back into the world. But yeah, no, that's that's next. Yeah. Fantastic. Cool. Uh Dan, have you got any more questions before we jump into the quick fire round? Um, the only one that well, one of the things that caught me you were saying a minute ago about um when you're talking about your process, your it sounds like you I don't want to say lean on, but your wife is very supportive of what you do. Is that something that has kind of been from the start? Are you finding now that sort of your numbers are justifying your work that it's now a bit easier to sort of validate what you're doing? You know what? She's always been supportive of whatever I do. Uh, she doesn't necessarily like it. But <laughs> <laughs> now she's she's always very supportive. Um, I think a lot of my artistic projects in the past, she's not really cared for necessarily. But um, now she's she's always been supportive. You know, when I was in this weird experimental band, the German one I mentioned earlier, like, like she, them. yeah, yeah. So she would not come to the gigs. She went to one and was like, I'm not coming to any more, but she used to give me lifts and, you know, she'd, she'd be there and pick me up and whatever. So, you know, and just with the, you know, she, she's an English teacher and she likes literary fiction and, you know, mostly literary fiction probably written about a hundred years ago. Um, and so the stuff I'm doing isn't at all something she would like. And sometimes she's just like, are you sure? Are you sure this is right? You know, it's that it just doesn't feel like you you're doing any foreshadowing. It's like, well, I am. It's like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's it's just different to you know what what Thomas Hardy's doing or whatever. So, 
and it, yeah it's it's kind of weird because you know I, i've really studied the genre and i've studied what works and like um especially like the reviews of night of the wasteland i think all of them bar one have been five star reviews and people have loved what i've done because i'm trying to write to that that those readers um and you know when i show her that she's just like okay i don't i just don't get it then obviously so yeah, yeah. but she'll you know she's there reading it and will point stuff out like well i oh, didn't didn't he have this here or you know all those kind of little um continuity details and grammar grammatical stuff and just she's really good when it comes to just kind of turns a phrase and um like she got really annoyed with one of my characters because of um the way her language kept fluctuating because um i've got i've basically got a character in a new book that is a little girl who has had a lot of trauma and when she's kind of closing in on trauma it's almost like she almost goes into this really simplistic state of language and i think once she realized that that's what i was doing she was really happy with it but it was yeah it was <laughs> so yeah no it's um re- yeah uh, she couldn't be more well i mean she could be more supportive obviously she could uh <laughs> do what she could could buy the books <laughs> yeah yeah she could, she could you know uh yeah. but now she's great so yeah can't can't complain cool cool Okay, so the quick fire rounds. We've got ten questions for you. You've got about five seconds at the most to answer each uh-huh. and every one. <laughs> um, are you ready? Go on then. Okay, Dan, do you want to go first, or would you like me to go first? Uh, after you. Second to last book you read. Uh, it'll be one of the Powder Mage ones. There we go. First Powder Mage book. Sure. PlayStation or N sixty four. Ooh. Probably PlayStation because of the Final Fantasy IX. What's your favourite alcoholic beverage? Um, I'm currently drinking Jura, so single malt whiskey. Nice. nice. What's your What's your favourite UK city? Um, probably Leeds. I'd have to say. Uh, nice. First First book you ever read? Oh god. Um, probably <laughs> The Witches by Roald Dahl. Nice. The one person you'd want to meet. Um, living or dead. <laughs> Either. Uh, probably China Mayville. Um, yeah. I just think I'd have a really long, in-depth... Com- I'd like a long, in-depth conversation with China Mayville. Uh, biggest hobby outside of writing? Uh, I enjoy professional wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> Who's your favourite writer? Um, oh, You can't ask that. Probably Gene Wolfe, but my God. Ernest Hemingway. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the list goes yeah. on. The, yeah, ask me tomorrow, it'll be different. But yeah, millions of, yeah. So, you're in the cinema, you're waiting for a film to come on. Bad news, it's the worst film you're ever going to see. Uh, what's it called? Um, Oh, Duck in the City. <laughs> <laughs> and where can we follow you in your work? Um, It's, let me think, johncronshaw.com is my website. That's J-O-N-C-R-O-N-S-H-A-W because I didn't think to have a pen name and that was easy to spell when I started this. Um, a pen name. <laughs> so, yeah, just use my real name. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, johncronshaw.com. I've got JL Cronshaw on Twitter. Um, and then on Facebook, it's John Cronshaw Author. I also do a podcast called John Cronshaw's Author Diary, which I launched, I think, two or three weeks ago at the moment. Um, and it's basically I'm going to chronicle my writing career from now on and answer questions so if you have any questions please email john at johncronshaw.com and i'll answer them on the show 
Cool, cool. Sounds good. Um, and is there any sort of final plugs you want to give out to people? Maybe get people to go buy a book or um, give you some sort of rating or review on iTunes? I don't know. Anything out there? Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, if, if people are interested, I mean, you know, visit my website, check out the um, – I've got a free novella called Addict to the Wasteland. Check that out first. You know, if you don't like it, then don't bother looking at the rest of my series. But if you do, then that's kind of what the feel of my series is. It isn't – the big kind of action explosions it's a uh it's a different kind of it's a new take on post-apocalyptic fiction i feel and a lot of people seem to like it and then some people don't so if you like it then you'll enjoy the rest of the series i love your just blatant honesty it's just it's just refreshing yeah (laughs) but it's actually the the best book you'll ever read (laughs) there you go so you enjoy to. it. <laughs> um, well, if, if, if you like it, you'll like it. And if you don't, then, you know. So if, if I can weed out those people <laughs> who won't like it before they start leaving bad reviews on Amazon, then all the and better. That's, and that's what yeah. every author should understand. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So uh, just a quick thanks to Disaster Peace for the intro and outro music. Acast for hosting the podcast. The listeners for listening. Our patrons over at patreon.com forward slash hawk and cleaver. And thank you, uh, Dan, my co-host, for being here. I've got, without you, I'd be alone. So thank you for that. Thank you, Luke. And a uh, final thank you to John Cronshaw. Thank you so much. Thank you very Actually, much, John. No worries. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Story Studio Podcast. Still hungering for some podcast goodness? Then why not check out our other show, The Other Stories? Oh, and did you know... Every time you leave us a review in the iTunes store, a puppy is born. Cute day, anyway. Toodle pip. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.